welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, everybody. Well, we're uh, back at another podcast here, and I'm super excited because uh, today we've got a really cool guest for you guys. And um, you know what I what I really love about archery is bringing forward the people that really do so much of the good things in archery, and and really play a huge part in things that continue to make archers better. And uh, right now I've got a guy, James Park, from down in Australia. How are you, James? It good, John. J- James is uh, a guy that years ago I actually, I think the first time I talked to you was through an email because you had a very interesting program and that uh, kind of calculated out how to, you know, how to range on the unmarked field rounds, which um, back at the time no one really knew how to do it mathematically so everyone was reliant on on memorizing a system memorizing dot placement um whereas you know eventually i just i learned it was just math so i could do it in my head easy enough but that program when i was still trying to figure that out i remember calling you and uh and then you and i started talking about several different things in archery and then uh we ended up doing a couple different projects and uh man why don't you just tell some of the people out there a little bit of what you're doing now and also what you enjoy doing and then more importantly what your background is from a non-archery point of view yeah okay john um uh, i'm an electrical engineer and i work in telecommunications industry um that's mondays to thursdays but on fridays i'm uh I'm a researcher at uh, one of our big local universities in Melbourne, and uh, there I study mechanical engineering, and uh, I've done a PhD, and I looked at arrow behaviour um, during the power stroke of a bow and how, how what arrows do when they're in free flight, and uh, so I've, I really enjoy that. Now, that's what I really like doing. Um, with my archery, I, mostly I like to shoot, but I also like to um, try and help archers shoot better, looking at the you know the technology and the technique. Hopefully, they can score more and enjoy their archery more. Yeah, and and you take it to such a higher level too. You really break that down. Um, I mean, you you break it down to where you actually even study the structure of the of the anatomy the muscles, literally you diagnose everything. You break everything down um, way beyond, you know, even what some of these television shows are doing now. And it's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah, I try to, um, try to say what do the archers do that uh, they can, they can do better. Um, how do they, for example, when they're shooting, get most of the force on their bones and not so much on their muscles so that they can do things like not tire so much and uh, aim more accurately. And if we can teach them to do that, then you know, hopefully they'll score more. Yep, yep. Now, I know at one time you worked um, directly with 
um, the, well, it was Archery Australia. You worked with the Olympic team. You worked with the national team. I think you still do work with the national team. It sounds like we're getting a little feedback. So for those of you listeners, I mean, we're talking halfway around the world to one another, so the podcast may not be perfectly clear. But, um, you know, give us a little bit of feedback of some of the people that you've worked with too, James, because I think that brings a lot of credibility to to who you are. It can do, John. Um, I've worked with um, Australia's compounders, top compounders for a long time, and uh, I've been the... Uh, compound coach at each of the world championships, world target championships from 2007 through to uh, the most recent 2013. And there we've got, um, I've worked with Pat Coglin, who I, I coach quite re- frequently, uh, Clint Freeman I've coached, uh, Rob Timms, they'd be the uh, the top three that uh, over that period. Michael Brosnan is another one. Yeah. Um, during the um, the last few years, um, Australia didn't have, a, at the time, a, a national coach. Uh, and uh, so I spent time with the recurve archers, and I was the coach at um, the London Olympics for the recurve archers. And uh, there I took Taylor Worth uh, and Elisa Barnard with me. Yeah, and, and, and obviously you guys have a gold medalist, former gold medalist down there with with Simon and uh, yeah. and you guys had an amazing um, recurve program for so long and 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 actually you guys have an amazing archery organization. Archery Australia is a great organization, you know, and it's it's one that's done a good job with your archers. Um, and you guys have had some awesome archers over many years. So I mean definitely want to give a shout out to everyone in the organization down there um you know i haven't seen like jim and forever but you know you guys did some really good things for archery not just there but but places that you went some of the information that you've shared with coaches i know yeah. have been important to other teams and national teams as well i've um yeah i've um done a lot of coaching in australia obviously but uh I've also travelled a little bit. Um, for example, one of one of the really interesting weeks I spent was with the national team and the uh, national coaches uh, in South Africa. Yep. And, um, uh, there I had the uh, the national compounders uh, for most of a week, and then the their compound coaches for most of a week. And we did some really interesting work, and they also showed me some quite interesting, you know, really exciting things around South Africa. Um, I've, I've done a bit of coaching in New Zealand, which is a great place. Uh, they're really enthusiastic. Uh, in fact, I'm off to um, coach for a weekend in Wellington at the start of uh, June this year. Um, also, another nearby one, um, New Caledonia. Well, that's that's awesome. And like I had told Clint, I actually plan to get down there again. I was hoping to get down there next month, but it's not going to happen. But Sometime within the next year, I'm going to get down there again, and I want to make sure we hook up because we did some pretty cool testing. Um, I guess I want to get into a couple topics, and if this ends up running long, we may break this into two segments. But the one thing that I think is going to be really interesting for the listeners out there, um, and this was something that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, after 
Well, I think it was after I left Australia, you started to do some studying on the actual structure and foundation of bone alignments and how those play an integral part in, you know, in archery form. And this is something that I've coached for many years. And typically I only really get in detail with it when I'm actually holding a seminar, because honestly, I've got so many problems with people plagiarizing my articles right now. Um, you know, the, the fly by night archers out there. Um, I'm kind of trying to save some of my golden stuff for when I'm in front of teams, but, uh, why don't you kind of get into a little bit more detail about some of the studies that you've done and kind of what started all that and what you based it on and, and let's talk form and foundation. Yeah, can do John. Um, what we, what I've tried to base my work on there is that, well, first thing in, in uh, the archer's technique, we want to try and make sure the archer has the least chance of getting in, injured. And, and so what we want to do there is to have the archer use only the big muscles and um, most of the force on the bones and then to not move um, joints under load. So one of the things I've stressed a lot with those I've coached and uh, around, the, around the world is to say, how do we help the archer have longevity? And the second thing, of course, you want to do is to shoot really accurately. And um, the, uh, what we want to do there is to have first the archer not tire and be able to hold very still. And if we look at how to do that, what my study has uh, suggested to me is that we want to use bones as much as possible, not muscles. We obviously got to use some muscles, but let's minimise that. Uh, so what that's saying is we want very good alignment uh, second, we want to use big muscles, not little muscles. Uh, if you use the big muscles, you, you can hold stiller. Uh, and so the, the other advantage, of course, is that you're less likely to injure yourself. Um, third, we want to make sure that we, we only use the muscles we have to. That is, you don't have muscles fighting each other. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think of your, uh, your, your, your arm, your bicep and tricep, if you use them at the same time, then they're fighting each other. So we don't want that. Every, every muscle's got a, a muscle that works against us, against that particular muscle. Uh, so if we're using one muscle, we don't want to use the other one. Um, and also we want to have a technique that when we, we are, once we start to use a muscle during the shot, it's hard to stop using it. So we want to only use those muscles that we need to use at full draw. Uh, and so, yeah, for example, have a technique of drawing the bow that only uses the muscles we're going to use when we're at full draw aiming. And so that's basic, basically the, the, the gist of it, John, to think about the anatomy. How do we, how do we get it so that we are only big muscles and how we only bones? So the, the alignment is a lot to do with that. Yep. 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 So, I mean, so, for me, the main thing is... Um, Obviously, a proper T formation is what I talk about and um, have talked Absolutely. about in the past. Absolutely. Makes a big difference. Um, stab the out archer, you stand up straight, use a proper T formation, have the um, bow arm shoulder right in close to the, the, uh, the line of the arrow, have the drawing arm elbow joint on the line of force, uh, an important one I found that archers often get wrong is on the drawing arm, have the drawing arm wrist straight. Many, many archers bend, bend that wrist or bend their, bend their drawing hand. 
and uh, then of course they're using more muscle. Bend it in which way? They often they often bend the the wrist so that the wrist is out. Um, your hand bent in uh, uh, when they're at uh, on the drawing arm. Okay, so you're okay, saying um, you know almost yeah, like if you hold your arm out straight, it would be straight like this. Yeah. So you're saying it should not be. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking uh, drawing hand, drawing arm. Oh, okay, drawing arm. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah. Often uh, we'll we'll bend the wrist um, so yeah. that the wrist is bent out. And I think um, I think you and I have talked about that when you when you grab a release, the hand should always be flat. You know, the release yeah. sh- should literally be down the center joints of the knuckles only and the hand should should you know remain flat throughout the draw cycle and they have a straight wrist mm-hmm. yeah. um and i say well you mentioned the uh the bow hand uh, exactly as you as you showed it um we want the 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 wrist joint um now uh, exactly under the arrow on the line of force now what what i point out is the wrist joint is it's the joint between the the wrist bones and the radius uh, bone of the arm, not the not the smaller bone. Yep, yep. Well, if you can hear me really clear there, maybe turn me down a little bit on your end. I'm wondering if it's a, a feedback that we might be getting. But um, so let's. I think we should. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but you know, I remember when you started this study, and. I think you, I mean, you gave me a pretty good comp- compliment back when you started this study. Is that still the case? Oh, absolutely, John. Yes, I, for those who aren't aware, in 2006, we had our national championships um, just outside Melbourne in uh, in, in Australia. And uh, we were very uh, fortunate that uh, you know, John was able to, to travel out here for the week. And every, um, every evening... Uh, give a seminar at, at our national championships and as I had a real good chance to watch John shooting and uh, it really impressed me John that your your alignment was uh, very good indeed ideal really um, it didn't surprise me at all that you shot so well yeah and I you know for the longest time obviously there's a lot of people in archery right now that are promoting getting in shape and fitness and and uh you know i've kind of stayed quiet on the subject because honestly that's been part of my lifestyle since my career started i've always been an archer that probably muscle mass wise has been bigger than most out there and i know that originally a lot of coaches and national coaches didn't want their students having that type of muscle mass because they were worried about flexibility and you know and and having too much mass but honestly um if you exercise properly and you stretch during your exercise you actually can increase flexibility but although i've always been broader that way i have always relied on my a hundred percent my bone structure because you know the thing that a lot of archers get in the trouble of is when they go out onto a course if if they rely on these micro muscles that you know especially when you get into these full fetas or you get into a long championship or you know a world championship where you're shooting intense arrows for days upon end or a full day whereas most people are only used to shooting for an hour in their backyard you know these guys that incorporate a really low wrist or a really high wrist 
a bent elbow, um, a compressed shoulder, the guys that have a hitched hip, all those things slowly start to break down. The more you rely on muscle, then ultimately you're just waiting for the time when your lactic acid buildup is at to the point where you have muscle failure. And when that happens, you're going to immediately transfer your you're going to transfer that load onto another muscle group that isn't used to it and ultimately your groups are just going to completely change on the plate on the paper yes that's right if you as you, exactly as you say if you don't uh, if you're not fit enough strong enough and use that correct um, alignment uh, over time you tire and your, your technique changes and your scores will suffer and uh, as you say with a, a, a tournament of many days that's sure to happen if you don't have that right Yep. So one, thing I, I, oh, go ahead. one thing I particularly liked in your technique, by the way, John, was the angle at which you held the release. Mm. Uh, that um, I often see archers holding the release in a, in a, in a way that promotes muscle use, mm -hmm. and uh, that's not good. Um, I like to see it very much at the angle you had it, and and the hand a bit hand a bit flatter. Yep. And you know what I think we should do. Um, and I don't know. You know, you and I have never really compared notes on how we actually coach people on this thing. But so typically, and my shot routine starts from the ground up. You know, my Absolutely. shot my shot routine starts from the ground. So, you know, let's, let's kind of go through, and I'll kind of say what I believe in. And then if, if you've got something to add, or certainly if you disagree, then you let me know. But, you know, every foundation starts, uh, you know, I guess the the security of that foundation begins at the ground and then we're the same as archers if our stance is is narrower than the body or if our stance is off center of the gravity of the body then ultimately the body is going to respond no different than a skyscraper that would be bent crooked or a skyscraper that was smaller on the bottom than the top um, and especially bigger taller archers like myself once you get some wind on it you really start to realize the importance not only of the width of your stance but also the the toe position you know if you stand there duck footed or if you stand there pigeon toed you put, get a slight push on your back and it's a completely different um, stability so I really focus on making sure that my feet are directly under my hips or slightly on the outside of my hips um, evenly on both sides and that my hips always remain directly under my shoulders. Yes, absolutely, John. I, I think we must start at the ground because if you don't get that bit right to start with, you can't get the rest right. And uh, so I like to have the arches um, heels just uh, at about shoulder width uh, because then you find that if you stand up nice and straight, you don't have to bend your spine. Yep. Well, from there, um, and this, and actually, what I found with a lot of archers is their foundation. I can tell, and you know, I and for me as a coach, the one thing when I go places and work, I hardly ever look downrange because I don't. Honestly, I've said this a hundred times. I'll say it a hundred more. Um, and if I have another hundred podcasts, I'll probably say it two hundred more. But I don't give a crap where your arrow lands downrange because until an archer can execute a 10 within his one one meter box the rest of it is just it's it's the training wheels are going to come off 
if he can't if he can't do it and is execute what I would consider a ten within his box, then I don't really I'm not ready to look downrange. And uh, you know if that posture changes a lot of times with an archer, I can tell within the first three inches of his draw cycle if he's already put his alignment out of whack just to draw his bow back. Uh, with women, this is super common, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to, uh, I take absolutely the same approach. Don't care where the arrows go. Um, I, I want to see the, the technique in good shape. And um, what I'm trying to convince those I coach is that uh, when, you know, we're not looking downrange. Uh, it'll look after itself. That the archer should think like a, let me think a diver might look or a, an ice skater, that there's a panel of judges there saying, what's the form look like? And yep. if the form yep. looks good, target will look after itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people, when if they're drawing too much weight, or if they just have developed this habit over years and years, and it's very common, is hitching your hip. In other words, pushing your hip towards the target as soon as you begin to draw the bow. And what will happen is once you've immediately set yourself up to once you come to full draw, your your front shoulder is actually behind your hip. Your front shoulder might be o- over the top of your foot, but your hip is pointed out. So then you rely incredibly on core strength, which is where most archers lack. I mean, honestly. <laughs> yes, what I've um, what I've come to realize there is that um, as a coach, sometimes the archers don't necessarily stand, uh, understand what we where we mean and. Uh, what I'm trying to convince them now is that, yes, we'd like the body to be upright, but we'd like it to be upright at full draw. Uh, and before they get to full draw, quite happy for it to be um, leaning a bit towards the target and mm. uh, more weight on the, uh, the the foot on the side of the the target, the target side. The front the, foot should always have a slight foot. more load at draw. That's right. So that when they get to full draw, they're then upright. Yep, def most definitely. And you know what? Here's the thing that uh, that I th- I actually think this is a this is a disease right now in this industry. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because and the, you're actually probably the best guy to even have this conversation with. But when it comes to stabilizers, I don't understand why this industry is trending right now to as much front weight as what they're shooting because. There is no physical way that the small muscles in the front shoulder can support that amount of weight without hitching the front hip or compressing the front shoulder back against the spine. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do, John. I um, I think um, we are seeing too heavy a weight, and uh, I like to get the um, bit of the weight off the front so you can get the weight back towards where you're holding the bow. Otherwise, you know, below the hand is what I believe. Yeah, as well as uh, you're helping you keep the shoulder and uh, stance in good shape, the bow also reacts better. Mm, yeah, for sure. Well, amen to that because some of these guys, I have a hard enough time even carrying their bow for them, let alone shooting yeah. the dang thing. You're a big, strong guy. <laughs> I know. I'm a girl when it comes to those, but you know what? I mean, the thing is, um, I've got a philosophy. My philosophy is. Um, there's rules and there's exceptions to the rules. Uh, the rules to archery is my way. The exceptions to archery is like 
the Rio Wilds, the Morgan Londons. Yep. Those are the exceptions of the rules. You know, there's there's a handful of them in the world, and they're amazing, and they're 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 awesome. But you will not be able to build archers like that as a coach. That's just plain and simple. Yeah, that's right. You, you, you it's easy it's easy to uh, point to some exception who does wonderfully well with not strictly you know copybook technique, but it's. We've got we, we ought to help our archers use the copybook technique because in general they will do better. Yep, yeah. Ultimately if you can build a team where everyone is on the same program, then ultimately uh you're gonna have your people that come to the top that are all doing the same thing. And when it comes to reliability as a team, dependability as um people actually being consistent and that's, I mean, it is critical, you know, absolutely critical. And I think you, you know, honestly, I think you can see that with what Kesick Lee's done um, here in the States. You know, he's he's pretty much put a stop to guys just kind of rolling into the into the Olympic team with whatever kind of form they want. He wants them, he wants to be able to, to watch them, understand when something's breaking down and make a correction before it ends up ruining the match. Yeah, what I've uh, what I found uh, during my time as um, a yeah, senior coach in Australia, John, is that uh, you main, mainly I end up looking, dealing with the elite, of course, because that's yeah what what you got. Um, and what I found there is that it's not unusual to have people that are near elite, but in their early stages of uh, learning to shoot, their coaches haven't got some of those fundamentals right. Uh, you haven't got them to stand up straight, haven't got their bow arm shoulder down, haven't got the grip in the right place. Um, and then, then you find it's hard to correct. So what, I, what I'm trying to do in Australia is to say, how do we help our club coaches and our regional coaches get you know, the, the three or four things that really matter? How do they get those right? So that for the archers who ultimately try to get into national teams, the national coach has got a hope of, Saving something good to work with. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with that. That's, uh, you know, and what's so amazing to me is sometimes when I don't even talk with, you know, someone like yourself, you know, I've said this plenty of times, but, you know, there's there's really only a few people in this in this industry that I would that I would really let come up to me and give me feedback. You're certainly one of them. You know, Clint would be one of them. Um, you know, but there's, there's a lot of coaches out there, unfortunately, that just, they're, they thrive for information and they read information. Um, but a lot of times the information that they get is not necessarily from the right channel. And although the, the direction of that message might've had a good intention, if there's a small piece of that puzzle missing, then you're ultimately going to train this coach um, a certain way of thinking, and he's never really, you know, he's going to build those early basics on these archers that are going to ultimately become, you know, five, ten-year habits by the time they get onto an elite level. And then they're real hard, real hard to fix if you need to fix them. Uh, one yeah. of the things I've tried to do, John, too, I think is important as a coach, is that. When I'm working with my archers, um, 
I want them to always know that they can ask me why do we want to do something and that I ought to have uh, an answer that is understandable and reasonable. Um, you know, if, I, if I can't give them a, the, the reason we're trying to do something, then they should feel free not to, not to necessarily do it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, like my kid saying, well, when he says, why can't I do that? If I just say, because I said so, then he's going to ask not, why again. If I say, because I said so, eventually he's just going to turn around and say, well, screw you. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And uh, so as a coach, that, then I always feel that I ought to have some solid basis for what I'm doing. And I, and I ought to be able to explain that, um, that solid basis in, in you know, understandable terms, have some evidence that what I'm doing is right. Yep, yep. Well, and what I found, um, and James, you may, you may or may not know this, but, you know, there's been, there's certainly been archers that are what I would consider top archers, elite archers that just get to the point where they all of a sudden find a slump. And as much as I know they've hated to do it, I've, you know, I've had those archers bring me in to work with them, but, you know, one, because they know that I'm going to find their problem, but two, they know that I've seen them shoot when they're in their best. And, uh, it's amazing to me, even the world's best archers, I've literally just said, okay, we're starting with, we're starting at the very ground up and, and I literally work on five basic fundamentals and i'm talking simple fundamentals that that equate to perfect structure yep and next thing you know they're just like and you know i pretty much just say well there you go go win something absolutely um i've certainly found the same and uh yeah a couple of examples before the commonwealth games in 2010 i uh, did exactly that with clint uh, we looked at his alignment and over time it had uh, crept out, out of shape. Mm. Um, I frequently uh, would work with Pat Coglin and Pat, um, his bow hand just slowly creeps out of line and so every periodically he'd pop it back into where it should be. So even the very best, um, you, you find you have to do that. And interestingly, I found that the very best are, are very receptive to, you know, they're hungry to know those sort of things. The, perhaps the ones that were not the very best get not quite so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly ones that are teachable and ones that aren't. But a lot yeah. of times, you know, once once you realize I need to ask for help, then at that point, you know, and there's been times where I've just said, okay, dude, I've, I'm telling you, and you're kind of just shaking your head like I don't want to. So if you're happy with where you're at, then then let's not waste the rest of my day because I'm, I'm telling you how it is. And, yeah, you're right. The ones that have been there and they want to be back, then then they they accept it. But yeah. let's kind of get back on to, um, you know, we talked about getting your feet in a position, uh, you know, get your feet under your hips, your hips under your shoulders. Um, it's, it's good to put a little bit of weight on your front fit, foot. Um, and then I also... Sometimes I like to have archers almost exaggerate, kind of slightly putting their front shoulder a little bit ahead of their front foot as they as they begin their draw cycle because once they come to full draw, just those last few inches, a lot of times the body will naturally straighten right up. 
Um, whereas if they start vertical, especially if you've been battling leaning in the past, it's better to start forward so that you'll come to that fully erect position. And again, um, I've said this in the past too, but you know, photos are the key to keeping yourself in line. You know, have people take photos of yourself broadside constantly and monitor that each night as you're practicing. But, you know, from there, and I think this is probably one of the things that you noticed me as I shot, because I think when I came there, you know, I had shot so much in the U.S. that, you know, there wasn't a lot of people internationally that had really saw my form. And and I remember a lot of people coming up to me even saying, like, you know, your hand's too flat. Why is your front arm, you know, why is your front arm that straight? Because at the time, it just, um, you know, it, I looked like a recurve shooter, didn't I? Absolutely, John. And uh, if you think about the um, the recurve shooters, they're, you know, they're holding heavy weights, 50 pounds or so. And you look at the very good recurvers, they, they can't shoot um, decent scores with heavy draw weights if they don't get those things right. And uh, you can say then, you know, if a compounder is going to have the endurance that we want to have, perhaps we ought to do it a similar way. And uh, so when I first looked at your technique, uh, absolutely it was um, all those alignments were exactly as you'd, you'd, you'd pick for a world-class recurver. Yeah, and what I focus on doing, and something that I think is important, you know, like we just talked about feet, getting your shoulder over that front foot as you begin to draw, but from there, what really I think is critical is I shoot a poundage that I can that I can control, and I guess as target archers, a lot of target archers are are shooting a poundage they control. A lot of the women aren't. Um, sure. but you know, as bow hunters, this is, this really applies, you know, like I've said in the past, if you're a bow hunter today, we're talking target archery, don't turn it off because this applies to you. If we're talking hunting in the future and you're a target archer, don't turn it off because I'll make sure that I find something that applies to you. And what I do every single shot is I take my bow arm, I raise it from my side directly up to the target i point my pin at the target with my left arm straight out and then you know obviously my release hand is going to be forward holding my release i look at my release hand i put my release hand with the degree of angle that i want my release to be at once i come to full draw and then I literally keep that arm straight, I keep the pin on the target, and I draw my release hand back towards my face. I don't lift my bow over the target, I don't pick my arm up with my shoulder back, I don't pick my arm up with my elbow bent. I literally pick my arm straight up, keep it straight, you know, my, 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 um, my wrist... I do what I call leaning on the door. When I put my hand into my grip position when my bow arm is down, I lean on the door, meaning I have even pressure disbursement from the inside of my thumb all the way down to, you know, where your thumb connects through your wrist all the way into, you know, ultimately the line of where it goes into your shoulder. I don't ever cross my grip across the lifeline of my palm to where it's going to the opposite side. It has to stay on the inside, the thumb side of your lifeline. And from there, when my arm's straight up, I'm pointing towards the target, my release hand, um, the angle is at the 
generally the position I want my release to be and I draw that hand straight back towards my face. You know, if you can't do that as an archer, then you are setting yourself up to be incorrectly positioned um, before you even get to full draw, let alone once you're at full draw. Yeah, I agree, John. And um, another thing that I think is very important for that, I, I quite agree with that process, but the advantage uh, in addition is that you're, you're getting your bow arm shoulder joint into position before you put a lot of weight on that joint and uh, then moving it only minimally as you draw and shoot. And that's really helping the longevity of that joint. Um, I don't like to see archers moving that joint a lot when they shoot because ultimately that's you know, then the stresses are pretty high. So I, I do like that process. Yeah, and you know, well, one, it's almost impossible if you draw your bow back to bring that shoulder, if you have your shoulder compressed back as you draw the bow, it's almost impossible to push that shoulder forward once you've put that load on there. You can try, but then at that point, you're putting an incredible amount of strain on those interior rotator cuff muscles. But yep. I, you know, I don't think you can actually still get it to the position that you truly want it in anyway. No, and then if you do um, try and use those little rotator cuff muscles, you're you're then uh, prone to damaging them, which none of us want to do. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then you know, once I get to you know, let's say once I get to full draw, I try to draw my release hand um, ultimately in the same the same angle but also i like to draw it in line with exactly of where i'm going to bring it over to my face a lot of people draw their release hand really low some even down as low as their chest and then yeah. don't like it at all yeah i mean for a couple reasons one i mean obviously there's you're you're putting the load into the wrong portion of your back Yep. But but even if we take the back muscle part out, what I don't like most about it is when you draw back and you come low, you come into your anchor, and then you pile a whole, once you pull that release hand up, you stack a whole bunch of facial tissue on top of the arrow shaft and the string instead of drawing the bow in line with the face, stopping, and then lightly bringing that release hand over onto your anchor position. Yep, absolutely. Um, I should mention uh, that one of the things when you were out in Australia 2006 that you uh, drew my attention to that uh, I think is very important uh, in that I was getting a bit much facial contact on my string. And it was destroying my accuracy at close range. I think I said and, that to you. <laughs> Since, since your visit here, um, I've, I've very much realised the importance of that. And uh, exactly as you say, try and keep that, that face off the string and arrow. Yeah, and actually I want to, since you gave me a little credit for that, I'm going to throw some credit out for that too because um, that's actually something that I really learned from an archer. You may or may not recognize the name, but his name is Dave Stepp. Um, Dave was an amazing 3D archer back in the day I, I mean he was i think he was one of the i think he might have been the first to ever win a hundred thousand in a year but yeah. he i'm telling you guys right now and hopefully dave will agree to come on one of these with me but 
Dave and I roomed together for like three years on the tour, and Dave had the lightest facial pressure on an, on an arrow I've ever seen. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen that guy make shots at long distances. You know, there's people now that are making long distance shots and doing YouTube clips and trying to draw attention to it. But I'm just telling you guys, that's crap that I was doing 20 years ago. And uh, I've seen Dave Dave Step shoot the same whole lot of targets at you know 136 yards, and and his arrows have always flown dang near. Well, they flew as good as Clint Freeman's. And I credit that 100% to his super light facial pressure. He would barely bring his release over to his face. He would barely feel the serving on the outside edge of his lip. And then he would bring the string right at the tip of his nose. And, And that was it. I mean, that was all there was to it. That arrow shaft did not have a drop of facial tissue on it all the way i mean not anywhere none it did the vein didn't touch the shaft didn't touch anything and that's that's a critical part of alignment you know not just the t formation but how you get to that t formation because you know without it you're going to immediately start to see another problem yep really important um a couple of examples, well, one example I, c- I can quote there is in the World Art Target Championships in 2007, I had a team of uh, Clint Freeman, Robert Timms and Pat Coglin. They were a very, very good team. Uh, they got the silver medal in the team event, beat by the USA by a point. It was a real good fun match. Um, but in the, <laughs> in the individual, um, Pat Coglin finished fifth and uh, he lost his quarterfinal match to uh, Dietmar Trillis and... Uh, by a point and uh, in the um, I watched him during the matches and I could see during the, the, the practice day and through the through the ranking round and the, uh, he, he had string contact on his face and I, I, I didn't want to change him during world championships because it would muck him up but I could see it was a problem mm-hmm. and uh, during his quarterfinal match he pulled a little bit harder into his chin for one shot and it went in the out in the nine instead of the ten and lost him the match Um, we uh, immediately the championships were finished we came back to Australia and said Pat you've got to get that off your face because it's costing you score he put a month of work into getting that alignment right with no contact and his uh, feeder scores went up by 10 points immediately from mid 1390s to over 1400 straight away yep yeah I can um, I can actually there's several archers like that um, that I can, I could definitely say, I've got them to break that fourteen hundred mark with just the simplest of things, and uh, and actually, Deepmar is one of them. Um, yep. You know, Deepmar. You know, there's it's ultimate. You know, any time a caliper releases out there, index finger release shooter. You know, the wheels will come off at some point, but when they're yep. on, they're on, yep. and. Uh, you know, what I found is these archers that anchor too low or people that have too long of a draw length or bow hunters that do the old thumb behind the neck thing, you know, yep. ultimately they're, they're bringing their arrow shaft directly in line with their chin. And that that is a danger zone for me um, because even if they have decent clearance, what happens is 
and this could be what was happening to Pat. I would have noticed it too, but the longer you're at full draw, especially an archer like Pat that's trying to pull through a shot, the longer you're holding and you're trying to pull, your natural tendency is to bring your head over towards your release in that last fraction of a second, and you just you literally turn your chin right into that arrow shaft, and the arrow's going left. I mean, it is. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly the exactly the process. Yep. Yep. And it, it happens more in um, the stresses of competition, or you got this. Yeah, this good hunting shot, it happens at those times. It doesn't happen when you're practicing so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, bites you. it bites you when it matters most. Well, this is a... Uh, do you have some more time? Do you have a little sure bit more time. time to keep going? Sure, um, Because what I'm going to do is let's go ahead and wrap this podcast up, um, and then we'll, we'll kick off a new one, which um, will be the next podcast in line for all you guys out there. I'm telling you right now, um, James and I could probably talk until we need to go back to bed because um there's so many things you know i i feel like he's one of the few guys that actually like kind of gets into my head and actually massages my brain my archery brain tissue and and uh it feels really good it's like getting a it's like getting a massage or you know a cool um cool chiropractor that really knows how to how to stimulate things that you haven't had worked in a while so um James, thanks so much for uh, joining in this podcast, and uh, let's let's do another one here right in a few minutes. Make sure you guys tune into the next one because I want to really get into some aero aerodynamics, some veins, the stuff, oh, the nitty gritty. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, thanks, James, again, and hey, everyone out there, make sure you uh, look up James Park on Facebook or uh, Google him. He's got some pretty awesome stuff out there, some interesting books. Some interesting programs. Thanks, buddy. Hold on. Thanks. Thanks, John. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>